All right, well, good morning again. If you are a first-time uh, visitor or guest here, uh, we want to welcome you to Center Point Church, Ken Island. We're glad to have you. We're glad to see your face. Um, in your program should be something called a connection card. If it's not in your program, it's going to be right outside these doors over here. Um, in that connection card, please fill out as much information about yourself as you would like to. Um, share with us um, your loves, your concerns, um, prayer requests, all those kind of things. We'll be more than glad to connect with you and talk with you and share with you uh, as the week moves on. And so we want to, again, thank you for coming and joining us here at Centerpoint. Uh, we're doing a series or continuing a series called Nehemiah Forward. We've been talking about, uh, from the book of Nehemiah, the last couple of weeks, um, dealing with this story of Nehemiah and what God had planned for Nehemiah and what God desires to do with Nehemiah and what God desires to do with our lives as Christians as we look at the model of Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah was uh, basically, um, God's spirit started speaking to him and told him he needs to go back and start to build up his old city that had been destroyed. Uh, Nehemiah is kind of wrestled with that, struggling with that a little bit. He finally decides to, to pray and see God's face, and God speaks to him and shows him how to get back from his uh, captured uh, place of, of captivity to move back to Jerusalem where he can start to build the wall. He's not somebody that is a learned man in construction and knows how to build a wall, but God speaks to him and gives him um, insight. God allows him to bring other people connected to him to start to build and fix this wall. We're now at this passage of Scripture where the wall has been built. They started to bring people back in from uh, Jerusalem back into the city, outside of the city. They're getting ready to really start uh, moving from just doing the infrastructure to actually building a thriving community within the walls, and that's where we take uh, place in this story here. I'm going to ask that you have your Bibles or your apps or your tablets, that you would go to the book of Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. While you are scrolling, clicking, screening uh, to get there, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Uh, we're going to be reading Nehemiah chapter 8. I'll be praying while you're scrolling through and finding it. Dear God, we thank you again for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you for how you watch over us and protect us time and time again. Uh, would you open up our hearts and our ears to receive your word and your truth? Would you give uh, me clarity in your Holy Spirit to share uh, your word how you so desire it for lives to be touched and changed in great and amazing ways. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask that you would honor God's word with us. If you'd please stand as we read Nehemiah uh, chapter 8 verses 1 and 10. All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the for Israel to obey. And Nehemiah continued, go, celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. You guys can be seated. We're dealing with Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, they have built the wall. They're, they've done all these great things. They've got the walls and the infrastructure up for the most part. Um, people are coming back to this great city of Jerusalem that had been um, destroyed, where people had been exiled from. They're now coming back. They're camping outside of, of the walls of Jerusalem. There are some people have come back into the town. They're living in Jerusalem. And so all this thriving is happening. And so what happens is that um, Nehemiah, who's really uh, one of the key leaders in this story, he says, everybody come. We're going to start to read over God's word and kind of begin to express and understand God's word and get our hearts back on track with God. I think that's phenomenal if you and I are going to move forward in life is to get our hearts and our minds and our hearts and our minds and our hearts and our minds and our hearts and our minds, and our hearts and our minds back on track with God. Let it sink. It's dramatic pause. Just let it sink in for a second. 
the importance of understanding that we're going to move forward with God means that we need to get our hearts and our minds back on track with who God is. And so Nehemiah brings all of the people together, and he says, I want us to start to look at God's Word as a unit, as a team, as a group, so that now that we started to move forward in significant ways uh, physically, we're going to also start making significant moves, what, spiritually. When we have our hearts and our minds spiritually focused on moving forward, we're going to experience some great things. And so Nehemiah says, I need us to pay attention also to the spiritual direction of us moving forward, not just the physical accomplishments that we've made. And so Nehemiah brings everybody together, and this is where the story takes place, where he begins to have the Word of God read to the people. I want to share with you guys five keys for moving forward spiritually in life. Are you guys ready? All right, I'll say it again. I'm going to share with you five keys today that are going to be significant for you to be able to move spiritually and to move forward spiritually. Everybody wants to move forward. Everybody wants to do great things. Everybody wants to be significant. But if you are spiritually not on track to move forward, you are not going to go very far. You may have success in the beginning. You may come out the gate swinging and firing on all pistols, uh, pistons, yeah, uh, either way, pistols or pistons, whatever it takes, <laughs> just get it going. You may be firing off and you may be doing great, but if you are not spiritually and sneaking in tune, you will eventually have a drop off in what you think life looks like and it will start to mess with your mind and your emotions. So I want to talk about moving spiritually forward as Nehemiah has showed us how to move physically, how to move forward as a group, as a unit, how to put things in place from a logical perspective. Now we want to start looking at moving spiritually forward. Here are the five things I want to share with you. The first thing you need to do is found in Nehemiah 8, verses 7 through 8. The first thing you need to do is reflect. Check this out. The Levites then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. He sits down and he starts to explain the Word of God. If you're going to start moving forward in life, you need to be able to reflect on God's Word. The first thing you need to do is you need to be able to have someone or something that can be able to express God's Word and truth to you in a way that you can understand what God's Word is and saying to you. You need to have someone, somebody, some tools, some resources that can properly express God's Word that you can clearly reflect on His Word. We have a lot of people, we have a lot of pastors, we have a lot of folks that want to misconstrue God's word for their own purposes. Some folks are trying to get paid, so they're throwing up churches and throwing up, you know, we got prayer cloths and greased down towels and all these stuff, and you can buy all this stuff online and you'll be blessed and feel great and highly favored, all this stuff. And that's good and all, but you need to make sure that that's God's honest, actual truth. The Levites come and they begin to share God's word in a way that people can clearly understand it and reflect on it. If you're at a church, hopefully not this one, if you're at a church where the word, you don't know what they're saying, but it sounds great, that's an that's issue. If you're at a place where they're breaking down messages, but you don't know what they broke down or how they broke it down or what's happening after 30 minutes of preaching or teaching, that's probably not the place you need to be. You need to be in a place that's going to share God's word in a way that you can follow along, that is clear and it's concise, and it is not against God's truth and his principles. The stuff that you listen to on YouTube or Spotify or podcast or wherever you're looking at or listening to, those messages, those songs that they sing on the radio that you listen to, that you, yeah, that's it. You, before you start celebrating how awesome it is, make sure that those truths are lined up with God's truth in a way that is clear and concise that can help you not just appreciate what's being said, but also can help you reflect on who God is. 
if that message is about self, if that message is about you doing your own thing, if that message is everything else about us reflecting on who God is and his truth and his honor and his power and his joy, that may not be the thing you need to reflect on. Because in order for spiritual life change to take place, you have to be in a situation that causes you to reflect on who God is and who his word is. The other thing you need to realize is that honest to goodness God's truth is about the good, bad, and the ugly in you and in life. And if I'm only preaching messages to make you feel good, then we're missing out on God's truth. God's truth is not just to make you feel good. It is also to point out the bad things we need to work on, and it's to point out the ugliness of our situation and point us back to the cross. And if you're not in a place where God's truth is causing you to reflect on the good, bad, and ugly of who you are as a person, that's probably not God's truth. God's truth has never been one-sided. It's never about, you're going to be great, you're going to be awesome, you're going to be perfect. It's also going to talk about what you need to improve in. You with me? I have a personal trainer, not for me, for my sons. I don't look like a personal trainer kind of guy. But they have personal trainers, and every day that they go to these football trainers, they tell them how great they are, and then they yell at them about what they need to improve on. <laughs> and it's frustrating, and they don't like it sometimes. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, you're trying to work out, and you got some guy with hot breath talking in your face and barking you out. And it's not because they don't believe that you're awesome. It's because they believe you're awesome, but they're also trying to get the ugliness out of you. They're trying to get those imperfections out of you. God's truth, when you reflect on his word, should show you how awesome you are, how messed up you are, and how more awesome, Mr. you could be. It's not a word. And so God's truth is to show you where you are and how much he loves you and values you. He also wants to show you how much better you should and could be. And then he wants to come back around and show you can be even better than where you think you are. The good and bad and the ugly of spiritual life is what God's worth is. It should cause us to reflect on those things. Amen? Yeah, that was a tough one. Hang on. Point number two, we should reflect. Point number two, there should be remorse when it comes to God's word. Verse number nine in Nehemiah reads like this. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So there's a couple things happening here. Um, when we get to God's word, uh, we should read it and we should celebrate and we should be excited about learning about who he is. Um, there's a point in God's word where there should be some moments where we are convicted. There should be some moments where we feel like, mm, that one, that was, psh, that kind of hit me. I kind of, I was a jab to the solar plexus right there. There should be places in God's word where it begins to convict us. There should be places in God's word where we read that we can do and be what? Better. You guys with me? Um, I, I've had parent-teacher conferences um, last week and this week, and, and another one to come. This is the joy of four kids. <laughs> These parent-teacher conferences, and they start off telling you how awesome your kid is. And you feel great about it. Oh, they're learning and they're picking up and blah, blah, blah. And then they say, now we need to talk about some other matters. And you go, and then they tell you what needs to be improved on. And then they tell you and suggest ideas on how they can what? Improve. You feel me? It's kind of this bell. They bring you back up. God's word should be at a place where we read it and we're excited and, and we feel great and we feel like we're connected to God and we also should feel an aspect of remorse. We should also feel like, you know what, there are some areas in life I need to improve in and do better. 
There are areas of life where I should be striving to, to do better as, my, as a husband, better as a wife, better in my marriage, better in my finances, better as a kid. Hey, kid. Better as a kid, better as a better. Is that right? Hey, kid. Yeah, better as a, better as a, as a kid. As your mom. <laughs> and dad. It's not seeking in today. Nothing. Flat line. Dude, nothing. Don't worry, it's going to take a while. Um, this remorse thing just start working in our hearts to a place where we want to be what? Better. Better as parents, better as husbands, better as wives, better. better. And so we should have remorse at times when we read this word that we feel sorrowful that we're not clicking on every cylinder. We're not clicking and hitting every mark. We should feel remorseful. Here is where I want you to be careful because remorse does not mean that you beat yourself up. Remorse means that you are sorrowful, that you feel some kind of of pain, there's some kind of grieving, but it doesn't mean that it should flip to the other side where you are starting to beat yourself up. None of us are perfect in life, and none of us will ever be perfect in life. We are striving to be perfect. And so when we have these moments where we recognize that we are sinning, that we've done wrong, that there's things in our past and how we process the information, how we tried to live it out was not pleasing to God, we should be remorseful that we could do better. We should never be to a point where we just disconnect from life because we feel so bad. You guys with me? I have been, I was doing the math, I've been doing ministry for 20 years now, and I understand that there's moments in life where we do things we shouldn't do. We participate in activities we shouldn't participate in. It does not mean that you still cannot walk and have a vibrant relationship with God. I laugh because I'm driving over the bridge today, and I'm thinking about this message, and I'm thinking about these 20 years of ministry. I I, I had decided at the church that I wanted to go through the ministerial track. I wanted to learn how to become a minister. And at the end of that process, they give you a license and say, you've made it, you're a minister, yay! So you go through all these processes. They pulled me aside one day, and they said, listen, you're going through the ministerial track. We have all these people that have come up to the altar that need some altar counseling. We want to take you in the back room. We want you to sit in and listen to how the altar counseling process works. You guys with me so far? So I go in there, and they pull the chair out, and they put this chair here, and they have another chair in front of this guy. And so I'm supposed to just sit here and observe the process. Well, as the guy is start, as, as the minister is going through this process with this guy, like 16 more people come into the room. And so he says, B, why don't you go ahead and finish this counseling real quick? I'm going to go ahead with somebody else. I'm 19. And I sit down, and I remember all my teaching and training, everything I've got. And I said, so, what brings you here to, for Christ today? Is it, is it salvation? Is it uh, we just need to get back on track with life? What's going on? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going through all my stuff. I'm working the list. I'm doing great. And he says to me, he says, I want you to understand, last night I shot, and I'm pretty sure I killed a guy. And I'm here at church because I don't know what the next step is. <sighs> that wasn't in the training. That wasn't in the book. And I'm 19. I'm not even legal to drink yet. <laughs> I'm not even legal to drink yet. And I got a dude in front of me that told me last night between a certain time, I shot and I'm pretty sure I killed a guy. Does God still love me? Can he forgive me? I didn't want to do it. Whoa, where do you go with that? And it's God's grace that loves us in our worst and most horrible moments. 
and still says, even though you've done something horrible and despicable, I still what? Love you. And in that moment, whatever I may have thought, whatever I may have felt, me trying, maybe I want to look at the guy who was doing security in the room and be like, hot route. Come on. As much as I may have wanted to, in this moment, this guy's eyes was, was filled with water and pain, and there was remorse. And God recognizes that in our worst moments, he can still love us. In our worst moments, like this guy was in his worst moment, he still felt like, can I come and get some understanding of where do I fall in line with God's word? He could have, he could have gone on a run. He told me where he shot the guy at. I don't know why he told me. He told me where he shot the guy at. He wasn't but 10 miles away from where the crime was committed. He could have gone on a run. He could have fled to another state. He had hours to get away. But something said to him, I need to be and I need to have some connection and communication with the God of the universe. Just because you feel sorry about certain aspects of your life doesn't mean it's time to run and make a break for it. It means that we are sorry, but God still loves us and still desires to be connected to us, even in our remorseful moments. Don't let remorseful moments become moments where you regret life itself, that you don't want to move forward, that you don't want to go on, that you become stagnant, that you don't want to be connected. How do I know that's true? Because Nehemiah is sharing this word with these people, and he begins to see that as they're sharing the word and what God's truth is, that they start to reflect on life. They're hearing it clearly from the Levites. They're hearing it clearly from the people of God. But they start to realize that we have messed up in some severe ways, that we have caused God to be displeased with us, that we have done things that have sinned against God, and they become so remorseful or, or uh, so upset that they begin to cry and weep past the point of just saying, you know what, I'm a mess. They're crying to a point where we have messed up so much Where are we in life? And Nehemiah says, hold on, let me stop you guys real quick. And point number 10 is where I want to share with you. Nehemiah says, in the middle of your remorse, I need you to understand you have to point number three, reconnect. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. Nehemiah says, you are remorseful. You are, you are in this situation where you are crying. You realize you have caused great sin. You have caused great harm to yourself. You've offended God. You recognize that. Don't cry so much that you want to recoil from life. Did you get that? Because sometimes we recognize how much we've messed up, and what we want to do is recoil. We want to pull back. We want to hide. We want to go hide in a cave, hide in a mountain. We don't want to be seen by anybody. We don't want to be connected anymore. And God says in order for you to be able to move forward spiritually, recognize your issue, recognize that there's a time to be remorseful, and then I need you to what? Reconnect. He tells the people, I want you to go celebrate in the middle of your tears. In the middle of recognizing that you've messed up, that you've made mistakes, don't recoil but reconnect. Get with other people in this community that understand that they've messed up as well and become a family. It's what church is. It's a bunch of rejects that are trying to reconnect with the Father. And the only way you can officially reconnect with the Father is you have to reconnect with other rejects. This is what causes us to grow as a church, as a body. This is what causes you to grow spiritually. This is what causes you to become successful, is you have to be willing to reconnect. We mess up, we want to hide. 
We want to change our picture on Facebook. We're no longer a human being. We're an avatar. We go on hiatuses. We don't come to church for weeks or months. We don't answer phone calls and text messages. We want to hide when we feel bad about life. And God says when we feel bad about life, that is when you should reconnect the most. It's when you should get involved with people, when you should join with people, when you should fellowship with people. He says, I want you guys to eat and drink and celebrate life. Because the only way you're going to be successful is to get with other people that are striving to be successful, that aren't perfect but are striving to be successful. Man, I'm preaching harder than anybody saying amen today. That's all right, that's cool, whatever, whatever, whatever. Here's something I want you to see in this passage of Scripture. This is what, this is what blows my mind, right? He says, okay, he says, okay, I want you to go celebrate this feast, rich food, you know, none of that Murray's meat. Get some real meat, get some, some real steak, get some real food. Let's get some rich food. He says, I want you to get some sweet drink. Take that how you want. Give a sweet drink. Just I want you to share gifts with other people who have not prepared. Y'all see that? So he says, first, I want you to reconnect with people that are on your level. I want you to connect with people that are striving to be successful. And then I want you to reconnect with people that aren't properly prepared in life. In order to have a spiritual life that moves forward, in order to connect, you have to connect with other people, and then you have to connect in service so that God can see and work with what you have so that you can be successful. Connecting and reconnecting with others is also based upon you reconnecting with those that do not have. Because as you do, you become fulfilled. Oh, my Bruh. As you do, you become filled. Imagine if I took that whole communion cup and I just filled it up to the top with juice. There's nothing I can do with it. It's filled with the top. What I can do is pour some out, and as the juice gets empty, someone can refill it. A cup is not meant to hold something forever. It's meant to hold something so that it can give something, and in return it gets something so that it can give something. In order to be properly used by God, you have to be willing to give out some stuff to get some stuff so that you can give back out some stuff. And he says in order for you to be successful in life, you got to understand being a full cup doesn't get it. I need you to be able to pour some stuff out so that you can get some more stuff in you. And he says, in order to reconnect, it's not just about connecting with people. Hey, we had a good time. High five. Yeah, awesome. All right. He says, it's about giving too. And if you're not willing to give in this process, you're a spectator, not a participator. <sighs> Punching them, ball. Punching them. He says, being a spectator doesn't make you part of the team. You can wear the jersey. You get the cleats, you get the un underwear, socks, drawers, whatever you want to call them. You can buy tickets, but you're a spectator. A participator's in the game. And he says, I want you to understand in order to fully connect with God, it's not just about showing up, it's about doing. 
And he tells the people that are celebrating this whole process of building the wall, all those people that have now come by and said, oh, you guys built the wall? Well, we want to come back too. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Because it was Nehemiah and a few folks, they were building the wall. And after they built the wall, chapter 7, all these people start, hey, we're back. We're going, we're not, so you guys built the wall. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to camp outside the wall. And when you guys get it together, then we'll come into the wall. Y'all, you know people like that? You know people like that? Oh, we're going to be part of the team as soon as you get everything up and rolling. What did you do? We're here to celebrate. You got the wall back. Y'all know people like that, right? And so all these people come into the town. Maybe they're not even fully prepared because they left out of, they're outside of town. They come into the town, and now they're listening to the word, and they start being convicted. And now all the people in the town are like, hey, we're going to connect with our people. And, 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 and he says to him, Nehemiah says to them, don't just connect with your people. Connect with the people that are just coming in. Connect with the people that didn't bring anything so that they can see what life and relationship ought to look like. Because ultimately, the people didn't bring anything. We're going to give them stuff so that they would be encouraged. You know what? I want to be a part of this too. I'm moving from out of town to in town. Bro, I'm preaching like, you don't even know what's happening. That is how life works. That's how reconnecting works. That's what, that's what, that's what, that's what growth looks like. I got folks at church that don't want to come to church unless the pastor's preaching. I got folks that don't want to come to church unless their favorite worship is the dude with the glasses singing. He ain't singing. I ain't coming. It's real. We got one person on the setup team. Well, I need to see another name first. Because that's not going to be just me, just us two doing setup. And God says, if you want to be successful, you got to be willing not just to be a spectator, but a participator. You got to start pouring into other people's buckets. I got men's ministry at Chick-fil-A on Friday at 6.30 in the morning. That's too early. I would go, but that's too early for me. They should have one when I'm available, like around 7 in the afternoon. That's fair. 6.30 is early. You don't like chicken minis. I get it. So you feel so passionate about a 7 o'clock one, why don't you start one? Bing. You're so passionate about fellowship with men, but 6.30 is too early, start one on the other side at 7 p.m. Just an hour. I don't know what to talk about. Invite a leader to your event that you want to start, and we'll come start one with you, baby. Go on to the next point. A little too serious. I'm not done. So he said, listen, you're going to reconnect with me, but you're not willing to reconnect with those that aren't connected to me. Then how do you expect for, for spiritual life to grow? How are you expecting to, to realize who God is? How are you expecting for church to grow? How are you expecting for your life to grow? You have to connect with people that aren't connected. Didn't he do the same thing for you and I? Were we not connected to the Father, and he sent down his son, that he would reconnect with us to bring us back into connection with him and his people, then why wouldn't it be the same principle in actual life? If 
Why wouldn't you invite folks to church? Why wouldn't you invite folks to life group? Why wouldn't you sit down and spend a few moments with people at work or on the job that you normally wouldn't talk to for the purposes of reconnecting, for the purposes of bringing people back? You sit under all this amazing, phenomenal preaching, and then you check off your box for Sunday, see you next Sunday, filled up and gave nothing back. Well, how can you take, so, so, so the principle of the cup, oh man, so the principle of the cup is you fill the cup all the way up to its fullest level. The cup's job is to pour out and get more in, pour out and get more in. If you stay full, how can you get more? Deep, right? So if I fill the cup up with water and then I pour out all the water, Maybe we want something, maybe we want soda. We want to upgrade from water to orange soda. I know you like orange soda, Mike. Orange soda. So we want to move up from orange soda. So we want to go to Fanta. We want real expensive orange soda. So we go from, we want Rock Creek. That's only 99 cents. We want Fanta soda. So we go from pouring out that water to now, okay, I got this cup. Why don't we put some orange soda in here? We had orange soda, okay. Why don't we put some Coca-Cola here? Okay, we had Coca-Cola. Why don't we put some Chardonnay? That's what some of y'all. We, put some so we have all these. So we have this cup. Why don't we start using it to the levels that we could use it to? We could put big and better things in it besides just water, but if we only fill it up to one thing and never use it again, it doesn't get any deeper. In order for you and I to be successful after we started to recognize that we are in bad, sinful situations, we have to reconnect with others that have the same like-mindedness. We have to reconnect with people that aren't necessarily involved in the process. (sighs) All right, point number four. He says, after all of that reconnecting, after all that giving, all that sharing, I want you to point number four down in verse 10, rejoice. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, listen, don't be upset that you've recognized that you've missed the mark, that you've sinned, that you've fallen short, that you've made bad decisions in life or this morning. Hey, it happens. I don't want you to recall. I want you to reconnect. I want you to get in church. I want you to get with people. I want you to share. I want you to get involved in ministries. I want you to share with other people what you know outside of church and in the church. I want you to be a part of stuff to establish stuff in the church. I want you to be a part of establishing stuff outside of the church. I want you to help this whole thing grow that it can be huge and successful, and I want you to be excited about it. I want you to be excited about the fact that you have a really bad mark in this situation, but now that you recognize that it's a bad mark, you are totally committed to the cause of getting better. I am totally committed to the cause because I am already all in. I'm reconnected with people. I'm reconnected with God. I'm reconnected. I'm striving to be reconnected. And now I can start celebrating because the joy of the Lord is my strength. That in my weakness, God's grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness excite me to move forward. When I've fallen short, I'm excited to move forward. When I've missed the mark, I can do better. I'm going to get back out there and get it done. I've fallen short and I want to be better. I didn't speak to my wife right properly last night. I'm going to wake up this morning and do better. I wasn't the best example for my kids today. Guess what? This evening, I'm going to be a better example of what a father should look like. I am going to do, I'm excited. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I have nothing else in me that makes me strong but his power, his grace, his mercy, his love, his conviction. And I'm going to live out those things in a way that I am filled with his joy and his strength. I'm going to be connected to him in such a way. I have no choice but to be excited. 
You cussed that coworker out. Yes, you did. Everybody heard it. Seven cubicles down, they heard it. They were talking about it about lunchtime. You cussed them out, we heard you. It was you. Can't live it down. Nope. But you can live up. You can't live it down, but you can now live up to God's standard. Aren't you the dude to cuss out the coworker? I am. How are you going to play your Jesus music louder? Because the Lord knows if I played it in the beginning, I probably wouldn't cuss him out in the first place. Aren't you the one that did negative X, Y, and Z? I sure enough did. And we're supposed to believe that a God is real? If I had trusted and hooked into God from the beginning, I probably wouldn't have looked bad in that moment that I slipped up. So guess what? This is the God I serve. And I'm not perfect, but I'm pushing and striving to be perfect. Aren't you the husband that cheated? I did. It was me. I cheated. A couple times. I cheated. And you're supposed to be accepted. I'm not, I never said I was perfect. And I'm not making excuses for my actions. But the God of the universe is better than my mistakes. Willing mistakes or unknown mistakes. I made a willing and a horrible choice. I'm going to do better. I'm going to serve a God that does better. I'm going to hook up with dudes that's going to talk and encourage me to do better in life and to make better choices. I'm going to sit in Applebee's when we're talking with the guys, having breakfast or having dinner, and I'm going to see that, that lady walk by, and somebody's going to say, hey, focus. Come on. Lock in, bro. You're right. I'm going to hook up with guys, but I'm going to say, hey, listen, man, I got, I got 10 minutes to get home. Can, can we talk for 10 minutes? Just 10 minutes to get me home. I got you, bro. Let's talk. And I'm going to get home, and I'm going to celebrate because I didn't mess up and slip and go to the bar tonight. Because I could have I done that, that shopping addiction, but you know what? I pulled it. I reamed it in tonight. I, get, I gave the cards over to her. She gave the cards over to me, and I left it alone. I'm going to rejoice in my small victories. Because the joy of the Lord that gave me strength over the small victories will help me overcome the major and huge and colossal tasks that are in my way. Because I'm reconnected. I'm celebrating every win. Every win. Here's an example of every win. And I I use sports analogies a lot because I'm a sports guy. Trying to get Zeph's mile down to like a certain time. He's running that mile. He started out at like 13.50. And he had it down to like 10.4. He's running 10, 10, 10 minutes and 4 seconds. I'm sorry, 10 minutes and 4 seconds mile. He's getting it. Boom, 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 boom. Gets injured. Isn't able to play for about three, four weeks. Concussion. Can't do a whole lot. Can't do anything. We get back on the back in the field. He's working out. He's finally back with the team. He gets on the treadmill and he is, and he knows this time is 10:04. And it's the first time he's come back and hit when he's just he's got a stride and he's got the bottom lip hanging and the sweat is dripping and he's going for it and he comes in at 10:03 and he high fives me. Boom. A month ago he was at 10:04. He hasn't worked out in a month. And he came in at 10.03. And some of you guys are going to say, well, that's second less. It's a second less after being injured and on the shelf for a month. And he gave me a high five at 10.03, and I said, dude, I'm so proud of you. For you guys, you'll say, that's, half, that's a second less. For me, that's an accomplishment. He couldn't hit 10.03 at his top 
<laughs> he was in shape for, for nine months. Couldn't hit 10.03. Month off, 10.03. I'm proud of you. That's a victory and a joy we can celebrate. So the next time we go to the treadmill, I'm trying to get it to 10 or under. See the mentality? A small win, a small thing to rejoice over gives me confidence to accomplish a bigger thing. Stop being so, ah, I messed up. No, reconnect, get involved, get connected, and say, you know what? Every time I win is a win, small or big, it's a win. I'm taking it for my ride. It's a win. Those wins are what changes the life of you and I. He says, I want you to rejoice over those wins because I want you to understand the significance of a win. The significance of a win in Nehemiah 8, 11 through 12 is that it allows us to be recharged. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they had heard God's words and understood them. Their celebration was over the fact that they heard God's word, they heard it with clarity. Not only did they hear it, but they understood it in their hearts. And because they had reconnected, they now had this excitement of what they had done. They were excited about hearing God's word. They were excited about ready to put it in place and put it in action. They were reconnected. They were recommitted. They're bringing other people that weren't necessarily part of the crew into the crowd. They are, they are fully charged. They're excited. They're rejoicing. And now they're recharged. When you go through all of these steps spiritually, you are recharged to move forward in life. When people say, I, I don't have any more juice, it's probably because you're not reconnected. A friend of mine gives me this illustration. He says, I, I have a light bulb, and it's connected to the lamp. And he says, I click that switch, and that bad boy will not turn on for nothing. So I'm clicking, I'm, I'm clicking, I'm pulling, I'm snapping, I'm listening to the light bulb, nothing shaking. I put it back in, click, click, click. There's five minutes, I'm clicking. Pastor friend of mine says, I'm so frustrated, I kicked the couch, hurt my toe. Stupid lamp. So my daughter walks right over, picks up the plug. Lights come on. She walks right out of the room. Sometimes we got all the stuff in place. We're just not connected. And the minute you get plugged in, the light bulb goes off. Well, I'm preaching. Oh, my God. And for some reasons, we're not experiencing Christ to the highest levels because you're not connected to your church. You're a spectator at church. So you're not connected to church. You show up for the big event, hey, you're not connected to church. You're not connected to church lives. You're not connected to church people. You got something to say about church people. Your tail ain't in church. Connected to lives, sitting down and hanging out and doing stuff with people. And you will never experience the power of God move in a significant way where you can move forward in life. You will never feel significantly charged because you're not connected. Man, I'm preaching, bro. You know what? I got two more examples for you, then I'm done. Uh, Bluetooth. You know Bluetooth. <laughs> Go in your ears. Ear fires, little things. Bloop, 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 bloop. They work great for about eight hours. You know what you got to do with them, though? You got to recharge them. Man, you got to recharge them. That's a lot of us here. 
We're Bluetooth, but we got to get plugged back in, reconnect, charge, go do the work, come back, plug in, reconnect, go charge, go do the work, boom, boom, boom. If that's not you, you're going to miss it. So here's the question. The question you're going to ask me is, how do I recharge? I hear everything you're saying. Get connected, be involved, blah, blah, blah. How do I personally recharge? Remember I told you I was doing parent-teacher conferences this week. I did phone calls, <laughs> met teachers. So one teacher says to me, I want to talk to you about your child. So, all right, great. That's what I'm here for. Let's go. And the teacher says, your child, first of all, I want to tell you, Mr. Wade, your child's phenomenal. You know where this is going. There's a bud coming somewhere. This child does this. This child is awesome. They're respectful. They come in. They do their job. They take responsibility for whatever. Blah, 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 blah. They go through the whole list of all this great stuff. Here's the issue I have with your child. This is the same issue that the other teacher mentioned when I talked to that teacher before. So we got a recurring theme. The issue is your child is only concerned about getting the best grade. So what's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, like my head, I was like, well, where are we going with this? And he says, your child is only concerned about getting the best grade, getting to the answer as quickly as possible, and moving on to the next part of the test of the assignment. I said, well, okay. She said, the problem with that is your child is not committed to learning how to learn. <sighs> Say that again? Your child is not committed to learning how to learn. What does that mean? I'm slow. What does that mean? And I processed what, what this teacher was saying, and what she was saying to me was that your child is so busy trying to get it right that they're not trying to recognize all the steps it takes to get it right. So your child can burn the answer into their mind and then regurgitate it for that test because they did it 20 minutes before. I want your child to know the process of what they're learning so that they can have an understanding to apply what they've learned to other areas of life so that they can learn how to learn so that they can apply what they've learned. Whoa! Dude! And so I sat down and I started to look at stuff. And I said, well, how does that work? Let's figure, let's do a checklist. I said, okay, how do I figure out, how, how do I learn how to learn? Number one, you have to know how to identify and know the problem. You got to know what a problem is. You got to know what a problem is. Number two, you have to know how to take on the problem. Man, you shaking. Yeah, you get what I'm, you get where I'm going with this, bro. You got to learn how to take on the problem. What does that mean? There's a problem in front of me. How am I going to accurately solve the problem that's in front of me? Yeah, I could bulldoze it over and just build a new one. But sometimes bulldozing stuff over doesn't get the job. I don't learn anything from bulldozing. Sometimes I got to get on YouTube and figure out what this does. And I got to figure out what this does. Well, this works if this, ah, this here wasn't connected to this, ah, boom, light bulb. I got to identify the problem, and I got to start figuring out how to take on this problem. How to, number three, how to answer the problem in multiple ways. Did y'all catch that one? Multiple ways. In several different facets, I got to learn how to take on this problem. Because if I got conflict with you, Jackson, if I got conflict with you and I just handle the conflict, what if there's another person that has the same problem, but they operate totally differently emotionally? 
have I learned how to take on the problem and handle it from multiple perspectives? Oh, this is deep today. If I'm going to be successful in recharging and being connected, it's not about just answering the question. It's about saying there's a problem. Let me look at it from every aspect. Let me figure out how would God, what does God want out of this problem? What does God want to do with this problem? When is God going to fix this problem? How can I be part of fixing this problem? There's a lot of questions I just asked. Versus just fix it. The toilet's leaking. Call the plumber. You ain't learned nothing. $100 later, it was a flap. I just needed a new flap in the toilet. Steve Flap, you get it, Steve. Go down to Lowe's, the flap is $1.99. So this dude charged me $98 for a flap that cost me $1.99. <laughs> trying, to, trying to say with Jesus right now. You understand my frustration? My dryer's about to explode because there's lint all in the bottom of the dryer. He's going to charge me $150 to vacuum out the bottom part of my dryer. I got a hose on my vacuum. You better get out of my house. I'm trying to charge. <laughs> Thank you, YouTube. $150 to vacuum out my dryer. Man, I'll punch you in your throat. Service charge. <laughs> Bruh. Oh, yeah, back to the message. Um, <laughs> that, was a me, that was a me issue two weeks ago. Sorry. That's a me issue. <laughs> Just to learn how to learn is to understand I need to figure this thing out from every aspect. As much as I want to get it done quickly, where is God in the midst of all of this? When you're connected, when you are, when you are, when you are connected, engaged with people, it now gives you the excitement to be charged to do great things. Leadership meeting yesterday. Steve is trying to figure out, so we want to buy 70-inch TVs so everybody can see the word. <laughs> Steve says, them little poles barely making it right now. That's a horrible idea. And I said, got a budget? Put it in the budget. And Steve says, I've been looking at projectors. We're at a leadership meeting yesterday. Steve's like, I'm looking at projectors, and we can do this whole screen and board thing, and I'm sitting back there rolling my eyes like board and projector, and uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. And Glenn's in the leadership meeting, and Glenn says, yeah, I know how to do projections. I did it last year for Christmas. They start connecting, and all of a sudden, this frustration that's been an issue for Steve weight is off his shoulders because he's like, dude, we can connect and talk about how to put the projector up. And Steve's like, problem solved. And I'm like, wow. Did y'all catch all of that? Why did his frustration become minimized? Because he was connected at the leadership meeting yesterday. Are you guys with me? Connected at the leadership for a problem he was venting about and trying to figure out how to get it solved, God said, bam, I got somebody there for you. Connection, relationship, bam. Now he's like, I can't wait to try this new projection thing. Steve went from, uh, projection, I don't know how we're going to do it. It's going to be difficult, and I got some ideas, but I don't know. And then he came back 10 minutes later, and he was like, yes! And in the middle of the meeting, He's pulling, the middle of meeting, we're talking about Jesus, and he's showing me YouTube videos on projection systems now. <laughs> we're talking about budget, and Steve's like, look, right here, for, look for a minute and 20 seconds. Dude, we're talking, excited. 
in order for you guys to reach a spiritual level of moving forward where you're excited about life, excited about ministry, excited about church, excited about being in life. If you follow these five R's, you will have an amazing, successful life in Christ. If you don't get anything else from what I'm saying to you, this is it. This is your takeaway. Celebrate the journey. This journey comes with highs. It comes with lows. But if you follow this process, even in the lows, you will still be able to say, you know what? In my lowest moments, God is still the Savior. He's still the King. He's still all-powerful. He still has the ability. I trust him and believe him. Even in the lows, I can ride high with him. In my bad moments and my regrets and my horrible decisions, I can still ride high with him. Because I followed this process. I recognized his voice. I felt guilty. I felt bad for what I've done. I've reconnected with him. I'm now rejoicing with him, and I am recharged to keep on going. Regardless of how deep the dip is or how high the wave is, I know because I'm connected to him, I'm charged for the next journey, for the next problem, the next struggle, the next issue, the next painful situation. I'm connected. I'm connected in the wave. High, low, I'm still connected. Celebrate the journey that God's going to have an answer maybe tomorrow, next week, next year, but he's still the God of the universe, and so I'll ride this wave with him. When you celebrate the journey, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I celebrate this journey, the joy of the Lord is my power. He's my alpha. He's my omega. He's my beginning. He's my end. I'm connected to the Savior. I'll celebrate the journey in the bad moments too. Because the God that's with me in the bad moments is the same God that's with me in the good moments. And I promise you victory every time. We're getting ready to take communion. And I would suggest that we start praying right now in our own minds and our hearts to understand that this can be the first step of reconnecting with God. That this can be the first step, whether it's a little thing or a big thing, where we recognize we've missed God's mark, let's reconnect with him. So God, as we enter into communion, as we get ready to close out this message, let your Holy Spirit rest in us. Let your truth be seen in who we are and what we do. Speak to us in great ways, Father, that we would humble and submit ourselves to your will and to your authority. Let these next few moments, Lord God, be the point where we connect, where we make a decision, a declaration within ourselves, that we want to be connected to you. There's nothing too low, horrible that we've done that can keep us disconnected from you. We want to experience your benefits. We want to experience the joy of you. Let us reconnect through communion. Let us reconnect through fellowship. Let us reconnect through serving to experience you on higher levels and deeper depths. In Jesus' name we pray.